0: Welcome to Setsing.
1: Hello, Vishrant. Can you please talk about the fear of intimacy?
0: So basically, it's the fear of being hurt. So people frightened of being hurt in intimacy because they have to drop their defense systems to have intimacy. And this fear of being hurt stops people from connecting at a deep level with other humans. Of course, the truth is humans are probably the most dangerous thing on the planet to us. Um, They can hurt our feelings. Uh, Well, they can't really, but they can say things that uh, we can feel pain from. They can possibly even physically hurt us murder us. And so there's a, a myriad of defense systems that we develop in early childhood uh, against being hurt uh, to stop us from feeling pain. And these defense systems uh, continue on into our teenage years and our adult years and they keep us in a way protected from feeling hurt, protected from people, but at the same time, any defense system, any filter, any barrier we have against another human being uh, is really in the way of intimacy. And if we look at intimacy, what really is intimacy? It's wide, wide openness. If we're with another person and we're 100% intimate, there isn't two people anymore, there's just one. We are so close that we are one. This is true intimacy. But as long as we have defense systems in place, as long as we have closures in place, well, you're not gonna experience that because those defense systems, those closures keep you separate. They keep you safe they keep you separate. And so people fear intimacy. They don't know that they're fearing it, but these defense systems are all fear-based. The fear of feeling something. And so a lot of people wouldn't acknowledge that they have a fear of intimacy, but that's possibly because they haven't had a look at the defense systems they have against being open with people and how those defense systems operate and why they operate. All defense systems, for one reason or another, are for survival. And fear is our main survival mechanism. So they're usually fear-based. And people like to think, well, I'm not frightened, I'm not frightened of anything. Really? Take all your defense systems down and operate in the world with other humans and see if you can do that if you're really not frightened take all your defense systems down and see how you go because basically if you do that you're going to start the way of the heart because the way of the heart is walking through the world open no defenses and because you're open and because there's no defenses you can experience or perceive love. It's in that openness that we perceive love, not in closure, not in defendedness, but in openness. And so this fear or the so-called fear of intimacy, really is just defense systems upon defense systems that keep us seemingly separate from everybody else. Unfortunately, even though they protect us from feeling, they do stop us from having any kind of really deep relationship with another human being. We may be able to connect with other humans on an intellectual level in agreement, but if we have defence systems there, we're not going to be able to really meet them at a very intimate level where we're just so connected there's a sense of one rather than two. And so it's really uh, the way you think and the way you defend yourself that uh, dictates how much intimacy in your life you truly have. Uh, You'll have to examine yourself and have a look. Have a look and see. Are you wide open with people? Are you wide open with your partner? Are you wide open with your children? Are you wide open? If there's someone you're wide open with, who is it and why? And From my perspective, that's how we should be with every human being, wide open, because that's the way of the heart. That's the beauty way. But only you can open you. Only you can take down your defense systems. Nobody can do it for you. And you have to want to do it. And if you think those defense systems aren't there, you haven't looked, because you would have developed them as children to protect yourself from your schooling, from your peers, from your parents, from anything that created any kind of discomfort in you, you probably developed a defense system against. And those defense systems operate uh, unconsciously. So you have to have a look. Are you wide open? Does the world pass through you or does it keep getting caught in you? The path to higher consciousness is openness, not closure. Can you be intimate with strangers? Can you be intimate with people who you find dangerous? How open can you be? Openness counts for everything. Are there any questions, any statements? any challenges to this teaching today?
1: The first question is as follows. I often find that shame and not feeling worthwhile stops me from being intimate. How can I change this?
0: Well, in intimacy, there's actually a lack of you. That's why there is intimacy. It's like when we're truly intimate with someone, the eye has almost disappeared completely, if not completely. And so there's nothing in the way anymore for that intimacy to occur. As long as you've got a story of you feeling worthless uh, or feeling shame, there's a huge story of you in the way. There's something that you're putting in the way of that relationship. And it's a story about you. It's not a story um, about anything else it's you you've got a story of you running you truly want intimacy with other human beings get rid of the story of you because it'll always be in the way let go let go let it go let it go don't hold on to anything about you just meet the other fresh without this baggage fresh let it all go
1: So what is the best way to get rid of the story of me?
0: I just described that.
1: The next question is, why do I fear letting others know how I'm really feeling or what's really going on for
0: me? Well, if you're fearing telling people what's happening with you, uh, you've got to look at, well, why? What is it that could happen if you tell people what's happening with you? What is it that's stopping you from sharing? What are you worried about feeling? What are you worried about coming back? Have a look and see what it is that you're defending yourself from feeling By not being open, by not being intimate, by hiding your feelings, by hiding what's going on for you. What are you protecting? And is it okay? Can you make it okay to share that? You see, human beings can hurt us. There's no doubt about it. In, in that, they can say things that, we can, uh, that can touch us. Um, now that touch is just a touch. When we turn it into a story, maybe of being a victim of them, of blaming them, that's when we start suffering. But the world can touch us. We can see things that make us sad. We can be mortified by some of the ways they treat other humans or animals. But it's only when we go into resistance to that, that we truly suffer. Otherwise, it's just the touch. We protect ourselves from being touched though. So we don't say things, we hold back. We keep ourselves safe because we're frightened of getting hurt. Fear and the service of fear pretty much destroys intimacy.
1: How can I become more aware of unconscious patterns like shame and feeling unworthy of intimacy?
0: So if you haven't got a witness that witnesses the mind, it's going to be quite difficult unless you have someone like uh, your partner who's willing to tell you what they can see or maybe a group of friends that can see you who are willing to tell you what they can see. but. The best way to see how our mind is working is to develop a silent witness that simply watches it. And in watching, we get to see all the patterns, all the agendas, all the defense systems, all the belief systems, we get to see it all. If we're caught in the story, and analyzing, by the way, is caught in the story, we don't see any of that. We see it because we have a silent witness that just watches the mind. From a place of detachment, and then we see it all. And so, developing that silent witness from this perspective of a seeker is really quite essential because, more than likely, your mind has not been programmed to support higher consciousness or enlightenment. And unless we can see the obstacles that are in the way, we cannot do anything about removing them or altering them so they don't interfere. So developing this silent witness is very important. If you're fortunate enough to have friends who can see you uh, and and who are willing to tell you what they can see, that's also a huge advantage. But the best is to be able to see yourself, not from a point of analysing, but from a point of just witnessing.
1: How do I not let shame and low self-worth control my decision-making
0: in life? Well, unless you're conscious, you can't. Unless you're conscious, you can't. It It will actually interfere. It will control you. That's the beauty of higher consciousness over lower consciousness. In lower consciousness, yes, it will control you. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. If your consciousness levels are low, you're going to be controlled by the fear of feeling those things. That's just how it is. This is why higher consciousness is so valuable because you can see what's going on and you can do something about it. And so I advocate higher consciousness for everybody, but not that many people are into it. Most people are just into staying the same for the rest of their lives. The seeker on the other hand is interested in having a look Interested in lifting the rocks to see what's under them. Interested in removing the obstacles that are in the way of higher consciousness. And this is achieved (laughs) through developing a silent witness or being with a group of friends who are willing to tell you what they can see. And so you can start removing obstacles, start removing these things that are in the way. Otherwise, you're just going to suffer in lower consciousness, which is what most people do until they die. You have this opportunity to not do that. You have an opportunity to actually develop a silent witness, get involved with people who are into higher consciousness and change the way you are. Completely
2: up to you.
1: The next question is, how can I be more sincere and genuine within my relationship? I tend to play the nice guy role a lot.
0: So I take it you don't like the nice guy role, you want to play some kind of mean role? How can I be more sincere? Look, if you're not sincere inside yourself, you're probably not going to be sincere outside yourself either. Uh, quite often, how we are outside ourselves is a pretty good reflection on how we are on the inside of ourselves. And in this game of higher consciousness, internal integrity is of utmost importance, because if we're not honest with ourselves, how can we ever remove the obstacles that might be in the way of us reaching higher consciousness or staying there? And so we have to have sincerity. And as you become more sincere inside yourself, more honest inside yourself, you'll find you are more sincere and more honest outside yourself. It reflects outwards as well. And so I would have, be having a look at your own internal integrity. Are you 100% straight with you? Have a look and see. How is your honesty inside of you going? Playing the nice guy gets you so far, but then you're not giving the whole picture to whoever you're with, not giving the whole picture to your partner. It's sort of... Um, it's a con. See, when, you, when you're with someone, you've got to love the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we all have the good, the bad, and the ugly in us. And uh, if uh, people can't do that, if they can't accept others as they are, well, there's not going to be a great deal of love anyway, because non-acceptance is closure, and love doesn't tend to appear in closure. If we truly want to love our partners, we need to accept them. The good, the bad, and the ugly of them, the totality of them, and then we can love them in that openness. And so, it's not a bad idea to be genuine. (laughs) Who wants to be a fake anyway?
1: The next question is from Kalimba. Good morning.
2: (laughs) Um, This is a topic that really resonates with me, and most of the time I find that I can be very open with people, and I I have my defences down a lot of the time. And I remember an old saying, which, if you've let your defences down, into me see. I allow you to see into me. Yeah, I really hate that. you me see. It's like, oh
0: no! <laughs> I, oh, I, get, I do get it, but it's like, oh no!
2: It's like a, a bit hippy trippy. <laughs> hippy trippy. That's look. One of the things I have a little bit of trouble with is that, um, not just in my past life, but also around where I do some some work. There are a couple of really needy people. And I find it difficult to be open and caring with them because at some level it seems like that just uh, helps make them feel that their behavior is okay. Now, can you give any advice on how to deal with people who kind of are energy drainers? Can we still be loving to them?
0: Okay, so when we call them energy drainers, it might be that they're carrying dense energy and they're passing it. I'm not sure about what you mean by energy drainers, but... Look, here's the thing. if you You've got a problem with putting boundaries up and remaining open. It's like we can tell people that we've had enough of them from a place of openness. We don't actually have to close ourselves to do that. It's just that every time we put up a boundary, every time we tell someone something that they mightn't like there's an automatic and unconscious defense system that arises in us to protect us from what might be coming back. That defense system needs to be allayed because it's actually in the way of intimacy, but it's natural for us to have it because it's part of our, protection when we go to war you know (laughs) because when we're confronting someone it's a kind of like preparing for battle something might come back that might hurt us and so we defend ourselves automatically and unconsciously on what's coming back but i'm telling you we can put up boundaries and remain open if we're prepared to practice it
2: yeah that that makes a lot of sense the main thing for me was in my previous relationship and Susan, her name was, and she, she was a victim, but she'd had some really, really horrible things happening in her past. And I was always trying to say, well, look, Susan, that was horrible. Yeah, but that was then. Now, if you carry that the rest of your life, you're always going to be a victim and you're not going to be happy.
0: Well, that's true. Whether she can receive that or not's another story. People tend to identify with the victim-orientated stories that they carry um, and they never, ever finish them. It's, it's part of who they think they are. Trying to take victim-orientated thinking off people is really, really difficult because they, they really identify with it. But the truth is, as long as someone remains a victim, they are creating suffering in themselves.
2: Yeah, in in the end, I had to tell her quite firmly and try to be loving that I didn't want to hear from her again, because it was just getting too much. But on the other hand, on a current relationship, it's like some things when um, with Heather, that's behaviours that she has that, I mean, a little one that she it said, but she she still smokes cigarettes. And I guess that's okay at one level. But at one time, I got myself caught out saying, darling, if you loved me, you'd, and that doesn't resonate anymore. That's blackmail. <laughs> if you loved me, you would.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give up smoking. Yeah, because uh, I want to. I want to be with you for a long time. I don't want you to die soon from lung cancer. Is that what you meant?
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, well, whatever reasons. Also, yeah. Oh,
0: the smell of smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Look, as an ex-smoker myself, I can't. I I can't really. Uh, criticized too highly. But I really don't like being around smokers anymore. I don't like the smell of the smoke.
2: Yeah. Well, Heather's really lovely. She never smoked when she's around me. And when she gets into a lot of stress, it's like I sort of go, oh, okay, look, if you need to have one, that's okay. So I'm getting more accepting with it. But this part of the caring and loving thing that I know it's not good for her. But it's uh. also supportive in a way.
0: Well, I gave up smoking when I became a naturopath because it was just ridiculous for me to smoke cigarettes and be a naturopath. Here I am supposed to be a health expert smoking cigarettes, which have been proven to cause cancer in humans. It's like it just didn't ring true. I had to stop it.
2: Yeah. And within the relationship too, when you were talking about the two people merging into one, One of the lovely things about my relationship with Heather is our our cuddles or snuggles as we call them. And there are times when, as you say, where I end and where she begins just isn't there. There's just the one. And as you said, that's such a lovely feeling. Mm. True intimacy.
0: Yep. Thank you, Beth. Nice talking to you, Kalimba. I I hope, uh, I know that Heather is on the line right now, so I really hope that she decides to give up smoking. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: I'm sure she will when the time is right for
0: her. I love Heather too. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hi Heather.
1: The following question is from a viewer. Some days my partner is very closed and I miss the intimacy with him. How do you build intimacy with someone who
0: is closed? By remaining open. Uh, There's actually nothing to do really, except remain open. My understanding of relationships might be a little different than a lot of other people, but I see relationships with the other human beings as um, time to be in service. Time to take care. I think we get together with people so we can help them. And if we've got someone in our life who's actually having problems with closure, the best thing we can do is remain open to them and be in service to them. This is the way of the heart. This is the beauty way.
1: I feel like I have to get to know someone properly before intimacy is established. How long does it take you to be intimate with someone?
0: Less than a second. Because there's nothing there anyway. I don't have any defense systems up, so it doesn't take any time whatsoever. If I had defense systems of any kind up, then I'd have to take them down to find that intimacy. But because I removed all my defense systems long, long, long ago, I find intimacy with every human being I meet, with every animal I meet, with every tree I meet, with every plant I meet. I find intimacy with the sky, with the earth, with the buildings. Just remove all your defense systems. It's beautiful. Then you have intimacy with life. You are one with life.
1: The following question has been asked by Tidon, Hi Vishrant, this is Tiden. My great grandma died yesterday. How long does it take for her to get reincarnated?
0: Nice to talk to you, Tiden. Sorry to hear that your great grandmother died yesterday. It must have been her time. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> From what I remember, it can be quick or it can be long. I don't remember uh, exactly anything. When when we die, we go into this place of not knowing. It's like our, we're there, but we're not. We're not in. We're not in thought at all. There's no time in this place, so there's no understanding or knowledge of how long we're there or anything. So I don't know. Do you want her to come back quickly or do you want her to stay away? What would you like, Titan?
1: The next question is as follows. Sometimes I crave intimacy. How do I meet people from a place that is not needy?
0: yeah look if you're not self-nourishing there is a good possibility you need nourishment from outside yourself if you're not self-loving there's a good chance you're going to need love from outside yourself and this is the key one of the keys to being happy to learn to be self-nourishing and that always begins with self-acceptance when we're not in total acceptance of our own psyche we have one part that's in contempt of another part, it kind of makes us barren because there's uh, an unrest in us. Part of us is not happy with another part. We're not actually self-nourishing because we're not self-loving because we're judgmental about ourselves, probably critical about ourselves as well. So it all comes back to the foundations of higher consciousness, which is self-acceptance. Find a way to be okay with how you are, no matter what. Become your own best friend and be tenderly okay with you. That's where it begins, always. What are you like with you?
1: Next, we have Arun, who would like to ask a question.
0: Arun. Hello. Hi. Hi. I heard that you had applied to come and say hello to me in person. I have. Yep. I would like to. I look forward to meeting you, Arun. We'll we'll have a a chat together in person and see how that.
3: Yeah. Looking forward to it. Good. Hopefully this weekend. Oh, good. Uh, My question for today is on the topic of thoughts. So yesterday, so I'll just give the example because I find that this is a repeated pattern in my life. Yesterday, I was sitting quietly just trying to witness whatever was coming up um, and I was sitting on the couch and it was going, I mean, I don't want to put a label on how it was going, but it was going well in the sense that you know, slowly as time progressed, less and less thoughts and things came up. And I was just kind of in a nice witnessing state or the ambient awareness. And then eventually I'd say after, I don't know how long it was, but it was quite a reasonable amount of time. um, This thought came up and I, I remember because it was prior to it, there was a period of silence. This thought came up saying I'm hungry and I'd like to eat and and so it was different to the thought I'm hungry that came previously maybe I don't don't know how long ago but it came previously and I knew it was a thought of I'm hungry to distract me from sitting quietly but this thought that eventually came that said I was hungry was almost something that was coming from my body saying it's time to eat and so I, I witnessed that thought come up and then Sequentially after that came up two thoughts um, of I'm hungry, which in response to I'm hungry, which was I could go to the shops and buy something or I could make something at home. And then it was the silence slowly went away and the witnessing went away. And it felt like it went away because of the conflict between the two thoughts. So some resistance came up because it was like which one of these two thoughts that I've seen consciously come up I could go to the shops or I could make something at home. Which one should I choose? And then once it was like I had to pick one of the two, then slowly this witnessing and the silence went away and then there was a progressive resistance that increased. And my question in regards to all of this is when this pattern of witnessing thoughts where I feel like I'm being conscious of them comes up, but then there comes a resistance due to needing to make an action based on the thought. How do I know which action is the right action? If both the thoughts feel like conscious thoughts that I've witnessed come up.
0: Okay. So if you're witnessing the mind, uh, and you're operating in the material world, well, needless to say you are going to need to operate on some of the thoughts that are coming up. Um, you know, because that's just how we, we are, we have to be in the world. But if you're just witnessing the mind and you're sitting and you don't have an intention of getting up, then you have to ignore the thought.
2: Yeah.
0: Or otherwise, otherwise it'll command you. And, and you've got to keep in mind, it is only a thought. It's not a reality. Thoughts aren't and so um if you know if we're in the kitchen and the we're, we're making toast and we have to pull the toaster toast out of the toaster well we have to do that but if we're sitting still in a lounge and we don't have to get up to go and make ourselves toast but our mind suggests it's a good idea we don't have to follow the instruction we don't have to follow the command we can ignore it yeah which is also like it's a mind process but it's absolutely possible you know, in witnessing the mind, if we're witnessing the mind and every time the mind comes up with something we need to do, we're going to do it. Well, that's not going to work very well.
3: Yeah. And that was my observation in the sense that the when initially, you know, in, uh, I mean, I, again, from my experience, when I initially sit down and think about doing meditation, um, lots of thoughts come at the start. And so when I I commit to just sitting for that initial period. And so a lot of those those thoughts eventually subside. And like I said, with this example from yesterday, initially the thought came that I should go get a snack because it was trying to distract me. My mind is trying to distract me to get me to move. And so that one, it was quite easy because I could identify it as a thought that was not serving me. But eventually when it felt like a very legitimate thought that you know, cause it had probably been six or seven hours since I'd eaten at that point, I knew that I was hungry and wanted to eat food. And I saw the thought come up that I was hungry. And I thought, okay, I saw that very consciously come up. And then it was followed by two thoughts based on choice. And I, it felt like I saw them come very really, uh, sorry, very consciously. And then came this huge period of conflict and resistance. And it was just based on choice. It was like, okay, it was, Ah, okay. The process yeah. in my head was: both of these thoughts have come up very consciously. I could go to the shop, or so I could make food in the kitchen. Which one do I choose?
0: Yeah, that's the problem. You're yeah. you're choosing. You're giving yourself choice. When I meditated, I gave myself absolutely no choice. You're still giving yourself choice, and as yeah. a result, the mind can dictate terms. When you give yourself absolutely no choice, and this is what's called discipline, then you can stay. But you're still giving yourself choice somewhere.
3: So, what happened yesterday eventually was, I, after deliberating with my mind, I basically just wrote this question that I've asked you because I wasn't sure. And then, eventually, my body just went to the shops and got food. So, I'm assuming that the right thing happened as it should
0: have, anyways. But your mind took should- your body to the shop and got some food without exactly.
3: Your- so. <laughs> So if I surrender to that situation, then, then is whatever is, I mean, I feel like I know the answer that you're going to say, whatever's going to happen will happen. But in the, in that moment in time, I feel like I need to make a choice. Should I go to the shop or should I make food in the kitchen? You and I don't know which one to do.
0: But You didn't need to make a choice. You could have made a choice. Not, you could have chosen not to move. You see, when I meditate, and this is what I'm trying to tell you, I gave myself no choice. I meditated every day and I didn't stop meditating till the time I allotted and finished. Absolutely no choice. This is the ani path. This is the path of discipline, the path of no choice. Unfortunately, we've been given so many choices in life that we we we're constantly confused because there's so many choices. But if we want to discipline we want to train our mind to actually do what it's told, we can't give it choice. And so in meditation, you give yourself no choice. You do the meditation and you do it for the time allotted. And that is that, no choice. The moment you give your mind choice, it will start taking choices.
3: Okay.
0: It'll take the easy way. It'll take what's comfortable for it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. On one level, I can completely appreciate what you're saying. But on, on the other level, I mean, I don't know how, how these facts play into the question that I'm asking, but so I sat down at about eight o'clock and my plan was eventually to get up at nine or 9.30 and have a shower. And I was, I sat, I was sitting until about 10.30 and normally I have dinner at whatever, seven or something. So, And I hadn't eaten since midday. So I know by the time I got up at 10, like I was physically hungry. I needed to eat some food. And that's where that first thought that eventually came, I need to eat some food now, came from. So my
0: food, but but what, what I'm saying is a little different than that. I'm saying that if you really want to develop a mind that will do what it's told, you can't afford to give it choice. Yeah, okay. So there's, there's two paths that I teach, the Riyani path and the Bhakti path, the path of devotion and love and the path of discipline. And in the marketplace for us who aren't become, becoming sadhus or monks and locking away in a cave somewhere or a monastery, we need to use both these wings to fly, both discipline and, and, and love and the path of the heart. And with these two wings, we can fly, but the path of discipline is really clear. You just give yourself no choice and that works.
3: Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one to hear, but I think a good one. So
0: I appreciate it. Because we've been given choices our whole lives and we're not used to the idea of not having choices. But if we truly want to fly to higher consciousness, we need a mind that will do what it's told. And the only way we can get our mind to do what it's told is to give it no choice. Mm.
2: That is discipline
3: so a short follow-up if I may then when you need your when when you need to do something in uh, in the real world quote-unquote how does how does your mind decide what the next thing to do is for example say when we finish this um, talk at 930 and say you had two things on your agenda to do and you didn't, you weren't previously told you need to do this one first and this one second, how would you consciously choose which one you would do first? Or do you just feel into which one feels right? How does that process work when you're trying to be the master of your mind?
0: I feel into which way to go. It's, I follow what's called an inner knowing, which means I'm listening to this silent inner knowing inside of myself that will take me one way or the other way, and I follow that. I don't get caught in thinking. I don't yeah. live in my emotional mind any longer. I just follow this inner knowing. So after this meeting, there's two things that could possibly happen. I could go and check with the people who are in another building, uh, hosting this and see how they've gone. Or I could go downstairs and see what's happening with... Uh, Uh, to see what her day is up to. So there's a couple of things, but I won't know what I'm going to do until I get up and go because at that point I'll feel the inner knowing and follow that.
3: Yeah. And, and, and how does someone who, so for me in my, in my position on the spiritual path, how can I tap into that
0: feeling? Yeah, it's a good one to ask. You see, you've been trained to use your rational mind the same way I was, and we we, we analyze everything. But what I've learned is that we can tune into the silence and stillness and know which way to go, but we've never been trained in that. So to do that, we have to be trained in it. And that is actually the way of the mystic. The mystic follows the inner knowing, not the Mm. rational mind. And so we have to surrender the rational mind and see what's underneath it see that see what's quiet and silent that knows which way to go that is underneath yeah and it takes a fair bit in the beginning it mightn't happen very quickly you might be just waiting and there's nothing for me yeah. I'm very fortunate usually it's happens very quickly this inner knowing knows which way to go but if it didn't know which way to go I would probably do nothing
3: yeah 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 I mean that definitely you know when you say something like that it clearly resonates that something knows what the right thing to do is but you know on a on a day-to-day basis and i would love to reach that point and i hope to reach that point but prior to reaching that point the normal time constraints of life make you make this make a decision because you don't have the choice to wait in silence and, and I know I can tell when those sorts of situations arise because then there comes a resistance because the mind has to logically pick what's right and it, it doesn't know. So it's picking based on information and pre-programmed data in its brain. And yes. it never feels right, but it has to make a choice. And so I, was, I asked the question from the place of, was there a way that a mind that, that didn't know how to tap into the inner knowing could still to,
0: pick rightly <laughs> you really have to become a meditator rune and trust the silence and stillness you see a long time ago now 30 years ago i stopped i stopped trusting my mind when i realized that it it was a it would lie to me to get results and then yeah. I, started, I started trusting the silence and the stillness and in trusting the silence and stillness i got more and more in touch with the inner knowing yeah yeah because uh, the inner knowing doesn't talk in words. A lot of people think it does, but it doesn't. That's the mind pretending to be yeah. inner knowing. Yeah. Inner knowing yeah. just which way to go. Yeah.
3: Look, I, I really appreciate your time on this and sorry to hope it was useful to other people listening because I feel like I've rambled quite a few <laughs> times on it. But um, it's funny on this path, you, every, even, even the resistance feels nice because it's nice when it dissolves, but the frustrating parts are even more frustrating than normal day-to-day frustrations
0: the only reason you're experiencing frustration arun is because you're in non-acceptance of something yeah if you can practice acceptance in your life you'll find that life is not frustrating it's just what is yeah
3: thank you thank you the journey goes on
0: thank you arun
1: The following question has been asked by Nadine, who's on Facebook. Sometimes when people are closed, they strike out emotionally with anger, for example, and I find it hard not to close to protect. How do you keep open when that happens?
0: If you're talking to me personally, I step closer and absorb the anger. I don't defend against anything because that's not my programming anymore. My programming is to remain open no matter what because the mind has been undone. And this is the path to higher consciousness, the undoing of the mind, so it doesn't contract against the world when the world goes the wrong way for it. To remain open no matter what so the world can pass through you instead of getting caught in you. But this only happens as a result of practice it doesn't happen by itself and so when people get angry around me i step closer i do not close i absorb the anger this is also the way of the heart because in that openness even when people are angry there is still love
1: The following question is from a viewer. I'm working as a social worker in an emergency department. This involves a lot of crisis intervention. I used to feel very emotionally tough, but would comfort eat when I finished work for the day. Since increasing meditation, raising awareness and attending satsang, the comfort eating has decreased significantly without focusing on trying to reduce the eating. However, at work, I have noticed that other people's traumatic experiences are touching me more and I'm not really emotionally tough. Is there any advice you have for me?
0: Yeah. The world is a sad place and you're seeing it firsthand. You're seeing the tragedy of humanity at firsthand. And you can allow yourself to be wide open to that but you've got to keep away from the judgments of that. You've got to find a way to make it okay. That it is just what is, it is life. The moment you go into resistance to it, you could be trapping pain inside yourself, trauma inside yourself. The key to dealing with that type of trauma is to stay open and to not close, to allow it to pass through you completely Because as adults, we can deal with it. When we were kids or younger, we may be not able to deal with it, but we can make it okay. And yes, it touches, allow the touch with no resistance whatsoever. This is the way of the heart. It's not the way of the mind because it's not defended. It's the way of the heart. And it's absolutely possible to be in the world and be completely open with the tragedy of the world, the way the world is. It just means that we had to be willing to feel things because things will touch us and it's actually okay that they do. Just make it all okay. That's the key. The
1: next question is from Satya.
2: Hello, Vistran. Hello, Sacha. Um uh, how silent witness uh, works in regards to process of uh, go by on fear?
0: How is a silent witness related in the process of what, Sacha? Uh, is in a process of uh, how silent witness works uh, to go by on fear? To go behind fear? By on i am sorry i'm missing the word somewhere Satcha, can you try asking me again please
2: yes um how silent witness works this run uh, um, to go out of fear well it doesn't
0: okay silent witness just witnesses if there's fear present it witnesses fear you're trying you think that somehow the silent witness is going to get rid of fear no that's not the case The silent witness doesn't do anything at all, except witness, it just witnesses. It doesn't do anything else. It doesn't interfere in any way, shape or form. It just witnesses. It's like you're witnessing someone else's mind. But in this case, you're witnessing your own. You don't interfere with it. There's no interference, there's just witnessing.
2: Okay, so uh, when we witness Vichrant uh, and uh, when we can see our uh, fear is over there, so what further step we need to take?
0: Well, the process that works is acceptance. So whatever, whatever is witnessed, if the mind can accept that, that's the answer. Acceptance is the key to freedom. Our resistance to whatever is, is a problem because it creates suffering for us. And so if what you're witnessing inside your mind is fear, find a way to be okay with fear. Be tenderly okay with that.
2: Okay, so is just uh, uh, accepting is enough uh, or uh, we need to do anything more than that? If you can do acceptance,
0: you've mastered your mind. Practice it and see.
2: Thank you, Isran.
0: Thank you.
1: The next question is as follows. I find I can be very calculating and careful. How can I be more easygoing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're calculating and careful because you're trying to control everything. Um because you're not feeling safe. That's why we calculate and uh, try to control. And why don't you just try letting go for a while? Why don't you try not controlling for a while? Why don't you allow just being for a while instead of constantly kind of trying to control your, and manipulate your environment to feel safe? Let go and just be. Let go and stop controlling. Just be, very beautiful. Up to you, you're gonna create your reality. You become way more playful when you can just be. While you're controlling and manipulating, you're very stiff, it's very tight, very uh, out of flow. Let go, let go and allow flow to occur. Be free, stop calculating, just be free.
1: Do you have to be sexual with someone to have intimacy?
0: (laughs) Is that a personal question? (laughs) Oh, Tosh, you're not even going to have a laugh with me. What's the matter with you, mate?
1: (laughs) I did laugh. I was just (laughs) (laughs) meeting.
0: Ask the question again. If it sounded ridiculous the first time, let's see how it goes the second time.
1: Okay. Do you have to be sexual with someone to have intimacy?
0: Are you talking for yourself, Tosh?
1: I'm referring to a common belief, which I may have too, that intimacy is related to sexuality.
0: Ah, you think that you need to be sexual... Uh, with someone um, before you can have intimacy with them. How do you go with men? Because I don't think you're um, bisexual or homosexual. I think I I believed you're heterosexual. So how do you find intimacy with men when you don't have sex with them, Uh, Tosh? (laughs) Can
1: can we move on to the
0: next question? It is your birthday today. Thank you Vishwan. (laughs) Mm. Uh,
2: The
1: next question is as follows. I want to be intimate with people, but I find it very intense. Is this just my wounding being activated?
0: Can you ask the question again, please, Tosh? (laughs) Yes, I can.
1: (laughs) I want to be intimate with people, but I find it very intense. Is this just my wounding being activated?
0: Well, it sounds like your defense systems are being activated, so there's a sense of intensity because there's some form of resistance And, of course, all defense systems are resistance of some kind. More than likely, the intensity is related to fear, which is a defense system as well. We throw fear up to survive. If you can learn to breathe out and let go on the outward breath, you can get through it a lot easier. On the outward breath, we can let go of everything if we want. And the outward breath is real, so it's not just a head trip. And so if you're finding yourself uh, in a situation where you're feeling intense, allow yourself to breathe out fully. And on that outward breath, just let go of everything.
1: If you are being truly intimate with someone, is there automatically
0: a sense of love? You're talking about yourself again, Tosh?
1: Yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> if you are being truly intimate with someone, is there automatically a sense of love? No, they, not necessarily. There could just be a sense of nobody there. When we're truly in intimacy, there's an absence of the I. It's the eye that gives us a sense of separation. In true intimacy, the eye disappears and there's more of a sense of one. Uh, And There's an absence of the eye that facilitates that. And so there may or may not be love there. That may or may not be being perceived. Once again, it comes down to the less eye, the better. (laughs) Uh, No eye, no problem.
1: This is definitely a personal question. Do you think that tantric practices are a good way to build intimacy
0: with a partner? What do you mean by tantric practices, uh, Tosh? (laughs)
1: Um, The practice, I don't know too much about tantric practices, but I, I hear that it's related to sex.
0: No. Tantric practice is allowing yourself to be open and intimate to anything. Really the tantric monks in in India live at the ghats where they burn the bodies and they allow themselves to be open to death and the smell of death and the feel of death. And in that practice of openness and acceptance, they find enlightenment. So Tantra is not just related to sex. It's a way of being the world. It's a way of being open to everything. And in that openness to everything, there is the sense of oneness. So, sometimes people get to think that Tantra is all about sex and there's people who make money out of selling that idea that there's, uh, that you can have a, a way to higher consciousness through sexuality. Uh, and so, Lots of people like sex, so they they get involved in thinking they're doing a spiritual practice. The truth is, uh, if uh, you want to actually wake up, going through sexuality would probably have to be the hardest possible way because we're more identified there than anywhere else. There's more fear, there's more rubbish around that area than anywhere else. But Tantra itself is very beautiful because Tantra is about being open to everything all the time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if we practice that, it is a pathway to enlightenment. There's no doubt about it. Openness does count for everything. It's just that Tantra has been associated at least in the West with sexuality, but it's way, way more than sexuality. It is a way of being in the world where you're wide open to everything. It's it's the beauty way. It's the way of the heart. And that's going to be up to you. If you're defended, you're in the way. Take down the defenses. You want to be with a partner? Take down your defenses and be with them. Don't have a wall between you and them. Take down your defenses. And then you can find some intimacy with them. Take down all of those barriers that are in the way and be free. Take off the armor and be free. Tantra is really about living in the world, knowing self as the world, knowing self as everything, because there's nothing in the way anymore. This is very beautiful but it can only be achieved through practice because the way we're brought up, we're all defended. But as adults, we can practice, we can take all our defenses down and we can walk through the world in openness towards higher consciousness and enlightenment. It's up to you.
2: Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today.